God's Holy Spirit speaking through Paul at the church at Ephesus some 2,000 years ago, but today speaking to us through that same Holy Spirit on July 21st here at Victory. Paul writes, in, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show His exceeding riches of His grace, the exceeding riches of His grace, and His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. May God bless us by the reading and the hearing, but most especially the doing of His Word. You may be seated. <clears throat> Give me a second to catch my breath now. I want to take these first few verses here and kind of pick them apart a little bit, but I really want to get into, uh, into verse 4. But God. But I want to kind of build us up to it. He starts out, he says, "...and you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin." Many of you probably have a translation in your Bible where the three words He made alive are in italics. They're in italics for a pretty good reason. They're in italics because in, in the majority of the, the most ancient manuscripts, those three words weren't in there. In most of the original manuscripts it read, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. And it's almost like the, the, the translators wanted to soften the blow of what Paul was getting ready to lay on us. Paul was getting ready to talk, talk to us about how mean, evil, nasty, no good, as they used to say in the Old West, scum-sucking dogs we were before we came to Christ. But it's like the translators wanted to soften that, so they, so they threw in... He made it so... you know. Keep in mind, guys, Paul's going to tell you all this stuff, but remember, He made you alive, so you're not like that anymore. He says, we who were dead in trespasses and sin. You know, he's not only talking about the fact that we, were, that we were spiritually dead because of our sins, but he's talking about the fact that we continued, if you will, to, to wallow in it. In fact, for many of us, we ran to it. We, 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 we loved it. We, we dove into it. We partied with it. Dead in trespasses and sin. Now, he's also pointing out that what was a change, what wasn't the norm, but what was a change in the life of Adam and Eve was the norm for all of their offspring. Because see, Adam and Eve started out, if you will, one with God. They were, spirit, they were not only physically alive, but they were spiritually, spiritually alive. They had fellowship with, with God. The Bible tells us that every evening in the, cool of the guard, in the cool of the evening, God walked with them in the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden man, it must have been someplace awesome because I tell you what, I don't think it's been cool in the evening for what, the last three weeks around this place? You know? But in the cool of the evening, God walked with Adam and Eve. But what wound up happening, as we all know from the story, our first mother and father sinned. 
They thought they knew better than God. They thought God was trying to withhold something good from them. And so they bought into the lie of Satan and ate of the fruit that God said not to touch. And the minute they did that, see, Satan thought he had them fooled because God said in the moment that you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And what Satan was trying to get him to think was, no, you're not going to die. You're, you're, you're still going to be alive. You're still going to be walking around. But what he didn't tell them was, yeah, you might be physically alive, but the minute you take a bite of it, you're going to be spiritually dead because you've sinned against a holy God. And so what was a change for Adam and Eve the minute they ate of the, of the fruit, they spiritually died. What was a change in their lifestyle was normal for us. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, we're born into sin. We are born spiritually dead. And we stay spiritually dead until we come to know Jesus Christ. So Paul's talking about the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. We were dead spiritually by birth, by physical birth. But we love the fact that we were dead. And what I'm getting at here is we, you know, I don't think there's any one of us that, that didn't, and I hope everybody takes the sense that I'm saying this, Many of us loved our lives before we came to Christ. We loved what we were doing. We loved the lives we were living because we didn't know any better. The world said, hey, this is, this is what it takes to be happy. And so many of us bought into it hook, line, and sinker. And it, and it took a while, of, uh, it, it took a while of, uh, uh, for us to, to, to think, you know what, this isn't all it's cracked up to be. It took a while for us to start thinking, is this it. Is this all there is to life? And it also took God's Holy Spirit knocking at our hearts. Knocking at our souls to tell it, not only tell us there's a, there's a better way. John, not only is there a better way, but the way you're going now, even though you might, it might seem like you're happy, the way you're going now is going to lead you not just to a spiritual death, but it's going to, it's going to lead you to a death in which you're separated from God for all eternity. Because the life you're living is outside of Christ. And you know, for somebody like me, you know, so many of us folks think, well, if I don't have a testimony... That, well, you know what? I wasn't an alcoholic or I wasn't a drug addict or I wasn't thrown in jail or I wasn't doing this or that or the other. So I don't have much of a testimony to share. But folks, you know what? Most of us are like alcoholics. And what I'm getting at is they, the, the experts tell you and, and recovering alcoholics tell you that the first step in recovering from alcoholism is admitting you've got a problem. But so many of us, before we came to Christ, we didn't think we had problems. Hey, I'm a nice guy. I'm a moral. You know, in my case, I got saved at 18 years old. I, I've shared this before. I was captain of the football team. I dated a cheerleader on the football team. I was president of the student body. I was head photographer for, for our, our yearbook. And I was a, a photographer for, for the newspaper. My senior year, I hardly spent a, a whole day in class. I was always getting pulled out for something. 
the principal would have me taking pictures or the newspaper editor would call the principal up and say, hey, I need John to take this picture of this club or this group today or can you cut him loose to go take these pictures for me? My, my mom loved me. My parents loved me. My teachers loved me. I had a lot of friends. I believed in God. Man, I used to watch, what's his name, every something good's going to happen, Oral Roberts, every Sunday on TV. You know. I thought, surely, I'm a good guy. I believe all the right stuff. I'm going to go to heaven. But man, it was one Sunday morning. I was talking to somebody last week. They said they don't remember the exact date they got saved, but they know when it was. I'm the same way. I believe, I know it was in 1980. It was the summer. It was probably June. I heard a man say, you can believe all the right things. You can be a good person according to the world. Believe everything the Bible says and still die and go to a real place the Bible calls hell because you never took that knowledge and took it a step further. You've never, you never took the step of acknowledging the fact that you were a sinner, that you were doing things to disobey God, and that you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You might have believed in Him, but you never accepted Him. And that's the way many of us were. We, 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 we thought we were good people. But we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You know, that word sin, you've heard me say it many times, means to miss the mark. It comes from a, both a Hebrew and an Old English uh, term. Uh, harpizio, I think, or harpia. I'm trying to remember. I didn't write it down. Which means to miss the mark. And what used to happen back in the old, old days, I guess the Robin Hood times, the, uh, the English archers used to have contests and they didn't have the big circles like, like we see so many times. From what I understand, they had a pole and they had like a brass ring that they would, that they would mount on the pole and the archers would all take their, their arrows and they would try to thread the ring. If they hit it, they won. If they missed it, they, they had sinned. They, they, they missed the mark. That's what sin means. It means missing the mark. Chuck Smith, in talking about the origin of the word sin, said that you know, when it comes to people, we might not even mean to miss the mark. I, I dare say that any of those archers back in those days purposely missed the mark because from what I understand, many times the rules meant whoever lost had to buy the beer for the rest of the guys or the ale, whatever they drank back in those days. So they weren't intentionally trying to miss the mark unless they had more money than they had brains. And... Chuck Smith in talking about it says that, that that even applies to us because we might not want to miss the mark. I didn't, I didn't want, it to, want it to be known as a sinner before God. I thought I was hitting the mark. I was trying to do what I thought were the right things to get me to heaven. To get me right with God. But I kept missing the mark. And that's what sin is. And see, the thing of it is, we need to understand what God's mark is. God's mark is perfection. How many of us could beat that mark? And I realize some of you guys are saying, well, Pastor John, you're the preacher. Certainly you're close to it. No. That was a joke. Okay. If any of you do think I'm perfect, talk to my wife, talk to my kids, talk to anybody in the church that's been here for a while. God's mark is perfection and we miss that. And, and, and the thing with it is that we couldn't, this is kind of a, one of those weird things, we couldn't help the way we were because we were dead in our sins and a dead person can't do anything. But, but 
Paul, this same Paul that's writing in Ephesians, says, says in Romans <clears throat> that, we're, that we're all given the truth of God. It, it's, it's in us innately. But we just choose to reject it and follow our own paths. So he starts out talking about how, how dirty, low life, no good folks we were, as they, again, as they used to say in the Old West. And he goes on to say in, in verse 2, you know, it wasn't that we were just dead in our trespasses and sin, but he says, we walked in it according to the course of the world. That word walk literally means meandering. We're walking around like we, we, we've got no goal, we've got no aim, we're just going everywhere. I, you know, I, I, I like to, uh, more than say meandering or wandering, I like to kind of look at it, especially in the culture of today, as, as being a zombie. Literally, the walking dead. We're, we're just walking around you know, with no life in us. No aim to us. Because what we did, didn't realize before we came to Jesus was that outside of Christ, we have no life. We are like zombies. We merely exist. Now the world might think that they're living. In fact, you hear people say it all the time. Man, this is the life. I know, I get carried away that one week a year when, when, when we go to Myrtle Beach. I mean, I'm back in my chair under my little canopy with my iced tea and my books. And I'm like, man, this is the life. I really need to think about starting this beach ministry up sometime because, man, this would be great if all i got to do is just sit under a canopy. Y'all come up here let me tell you about Jesus while I'm nice and comfortable under the canopy. And by the way, could you freshen my iced tea for me, Tammy, while I'm, you know, while I'm sharing with these folks? You know, we think that what we're doing is life, but anything outside of Christ isn't life, it's existence. And then we need to ask ourselves, is it really life if you're following and imitating something or some, someone or something else that is just as dead as you are? Uh, uh, oh, well, I'm going to be like that guy. Uh, you know, just, just like a zombie. I get a kick, and, and, and I'm, one of the things I'm going to miss about all my boys being out of high school is all these kids, all these young people, and I hate to say it, us adults too, we want to be individuals. We, we, we want to be different than everybody else. But what happens when you go to the high schools, you know, go to the schools, you see all these kids that want to be different than anybody than everybody else, but they're the same as everybody else. you got the jocks here, the preppies here, the rednecks here, the goths here, the nerds here. No, Everybody wants to be an individual, but they all fall into a certain group, into a certain category. The category that they think, hey, this is what living's all about. And then when you look at our culture today, had a lot of time the past few days to, to, to watch a lot more TV than what I should have. I should have slept more, should have read more, should have prayed more. But just in this past week, some of the things I've seen in an accumulation of other things, look at our culture. I saw, I saw on a, a, a news article this week Whoever did this study, I don't know, and who sets the trends and the norms and what's good behavior, bad behavior, proper etiquette, I don't know, but I saw a survey this week that says that if you're single and you're in the dating scene, that if you wait until your second date to have sex with the person you've been dating, then that, that, that's bad behavior. That, that's rude behavior. That's, that's considered old-fashioned, out, 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 out of date now. It, it's almost like, and I'm going to be blunt here, it's almost like, it's almost like 
what the guy and, and, and the, the ladies are just as guilty these days as, as, as the guys are, but it's almost like, okay, you take, I'm taking you to dinner, I've taken you to a movie, now comes the payoff. The TV shows, well, well and it's just still on culture. You know, studies tell us time and time and time again that the best hope for success of children is to have a mom and a dad li married, living under the same roof. But yet every time that survey comes out, you'll have the gay rights folks or the women's livers come out. Well, no, that doesn't, no, that doesn't hold a bit of water because what about, all these, what about all these kids that come out of divorced homes? Or what about all these kids that, yeah, their mom and dad stay together, but they're, but they're fighting each other all the time? Or, or dad's just there to, 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 to foot the bills and he doesn't spend any time. That's nothing but a bunch of hook, hook, hooky, whatever you want to call it, hokey. Not H-O-K-I-E, John and Terry, but H-O-K-E-Y. If, if I meant something bad, I'd say, that's nothing but a bunch of wahoo. So, okay? Or cavalier. But they'll come up and say, no, there's statistically no difference. But folks, when there is, there, there is a difference. You know, the TV shows that are, on, that are on now. Do you guys, I don't know how many, and don't let me know, I don't know how many of y'all watch Glee. But you know, the, 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 the fellow that created Glee, I read an article about him one time, and he made no bones about the fact that he was going to be blatant in showing the gay lifestyle as being, as being okay and being alright to throw it, in, in, in it's, it's a paraphrase, but it's pretty close to, a, to a, a direct quote, to throw it into the face of the parents of the kids I know are going to be watching this TV show. What does that tell you? We've got shows out there now. I've never seen this one either. Modern Family, in, in which a gay couple is, is, is pretty, pretty prominent in it. Uh, then years ago, what was it? Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. All the, you know, and, and the culture's telling us, well, that kind of lifestyle, and, and, and not just the gay lifestyle, but, but living together outside of marriage, and, and, and well, as long as we're in a committed relationship, and we've been together 25, 30 years, it's okay. All of these things... The reason when they do surveys and they say, well, the culture accepts it now. Well, the reason the culture is saying it's okay is because it's been rammed down people's throats for the last, I don't know how many years. Kids are being taught in school, well, it's okay, it, it, it's okay, it, it's okay to be gay. It's okay to do this. Whatever you feel, whatever you feel is love, then, then, then there's nothing wrong with that. You go on ahead and do that. And we see the society that we're getting because of it. And folks, I dare say a lot of the blame of that lies at the foot of the church. Because for so many years, either we ignored it or we've gotten to the point now, well, you know, well that's not so bad. If two people love each other the same sex and they want to cohabitate, they want to get married, let them do it. It's not bothering me. If folks want to live together, that's not bothering me. If two women want to live with a man, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's not bothering me. And we see now how it is having an effect on our society and on our culture. And it's not just from that side of the spectrum that a lot of the fault lies at the church. And I'm not talking about standing up and protesting. I'm talking about the fault lies in the church because we've accepted it and in many cases we're living it. We're either condoning it or we're living it out. And the world sees no difference from us. So you've got it on that end of the spectrum. But on the other end of the spectrum, 
you've got all these, these, these preachers out here. And I, and I spent a lot of time this weekend watching these guys. And I'll, I'll name names today. Guys like Miles Monroe and Mike Murdoch and Benny Hinn. You know, this, this one guy was talking about the fact that he had, God has given him such favor that he was walking through a, an airport in London and, and, and some big-name soccer player comes up and, 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 he, and, and he recognized him. And he said, hey, well, are you so-and-so? And the guy said, yeah. He says, well, just wait a minute. I, I, wait a minute, i got something for you. And he says, the guy, the athlete, went, in the, went into the VIP lounge and came back out and he had a bag with him. And he just started handing him stacks and stacks of money. And he said, the athlete claimed, he says, man, I know I'm not going to get any of God's favor unless I show you some favor because I know God's got His hand on you. And then this same guy was talking about the fact that that for us to get God... And, and, and see what these guys do is they take the truth and they twist it enough, or they take a half-truth and they twist it enough so that it sounds like a complete truth. And he used that to launch into his spiel for money. You know, if you want the favor of God, the way to get the favor of God is to be obedient immediately when God's man tells you to do something. And if you sow a seed into this ministry, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't take time to pray about it. But act in obedience. And if you sow, show favor, sow a seed and show some favor into this ministry, then God's going to show favor in your life. And then He, and then he goes on to make it sound like, like, like God's a, a, a negotiator. Well, if you, do this for, if you do this for somebody else, then God's going to do this for you. Is that a biblical principle? I believe so. If our heart is right, we should be doing for others out of the love of Jesus Christ, not because, hey, if I do good for somebody, somebody, karma is going to come back and I'm going to be rewarded. You know? But we know a biblical principle is, is that when, when we give, God's going to give back. Not because we've done this, but because, we, because the love of God compelled us to do something. We're doing it because we love Jesus. But these guys are making it like, well, God says if you give ten, He's going to give you a hundred. If you give God a hundred, He's going to give you a thousand. And then it's just not these guys. I'll probably get some folks upset here because, see, what we need to realize is that if you're not preaching the whole truth, you're not preaching the whole truth. If you're not preaching the whole gospel, you're not preaching the whole gospel. And we've got guys like Joel down there in Texas. God wants you to have your best life now. Folks, have you ever once heard this man preach about hell, preach about sin, preach about the consequences of sin, preach about the consequences of not coming to Jesus Christ? You never hear that. If you're not hearing the whole truth, then you're not hearing the whole truth. He's not a, he's not a prophet of God. But yet I see so many folks on Facebook have a quote on there, Joel Osteen Ministries. Mike Monroe Ministries, Dick Murdoch Ministries, Benny Hinn Ministries. And who's the woman? Joyce Myers. Joyce Myers Ministries. And for, yes, folks, maybe, maybe Joel isn't preaching, give me your money and God's going to give you a bunch back, but he's not preaching a whole gospel. And see, that's why so much of the problems of the world lay at the foot of the church, because we're not living biblical lives. We're living the way we're, in, in essence, we're living the way we were, a lot of the church is living the way they were living became they, before they came to know Jesus Christ, but they're just throwing Jesus' name on top of everything. 
And think, like I've been saying lately, because they walked, they said a prayer, walked the Nile, and got baptized. They're right with God. And, and that's not the truth. Folks, we're, we are to be as harmless as, what is it? Harmless as doves, but wise as serpents. We as Christians need to open our eyes, not just to the ways of the world, but to the ways of people that claim that they're, that they're Christians. Verify everything by the Word of God. And see, that's again, that's part of the problem with the church. We don't want to get into our Bibles and study. We don't want to get into our knees and pray. We don't want to come to church with our, with our, our hearts open and our minds open to hear what God has got to say because we're too busy living life the way we want to live it and then we throw in Jesus' name on the end of it. We don't want to come to Sunday school where we can discuss and we can learn more because, well, I, I don't like his style of teaching or I don't like her style of teaching or they said something to hurt my feelings. I don't like the way they teach. I don't like the material they're using. Folks, church has got nothing to do with me. Sunday school has got nothing to do with you. The Word of God has got to do with the Word of God. And as Christians, I'm probably not even going to get into my message because I'm already i chasing this one this morning. <laughs> Our responsibility as children of God is to be under the Word, to learn from the Word, to be conformed by the Word, to become more like Jesus. Not, well, I like this teacher, so I'm going to listen to him. Or if I feel like coming today, I'm going to come. Or if I don't feel like I'm, I'm going to go, I'm not going to go. Or if I've got something better to do, I've got something better. We, we claim that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But yet all it takes is one person to say one wrong word to us in the church and we're gone. Whoo! Onward, Christian soldier. Onward, Christian soldier, re retreating in defeat. among whom we conducted ourselves, the way we used to live. That was the way we supposedly were, but yet today in the church, so many of us are still living that way. <clears throat> he talks about in verse 3. Well, back to verse 2. The prince of the power of the air. And then in verse 3, about the nature of the children of wrath. The prince of the power of the air is Satan. In case we haven't figured that out. Yes, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Yes, God is in control of everything. But if we study our Bibles, the Bible tells us that God for a period of time has pretty much given Satan, if you will, control over the earth. Control over, if you will, the flesh, the government, the politics, the culture of this earth. And before we came to Christ, we were children of disobedience. We were subject to the prince of the power of the air. But yet there's so many of us that even after we come to Christ, we're still, if you will, children of disobedience because if it comes, do I want to choose God's way? Do I want to choose my way? Satan's way? It's always, I'm going to choose God's way. And then you know what our excuse is? Verse 5, By grace you've been saved. I've been saved by grace. I can do whatever I want to. I can act however I want to. I can live however I want to. And I'm going to throw it all on the grace of God. 
Because God in His great love and mercy has saved me from my sin. Folks, if God has truly saved us from our sin, we're not going to want to waller and live in our sin anymore. The change might not come like that, but the change is going to come. Who was it that... Marvin Gaye? Was it Marvin Gaye? Change is going to come? Any of you Motown fans out there? Out who? Sam Cook, thank you. I, I'd eventually would have gotten there, but it, but it, but it, but it, it would have taken a while. You know, the, if the change is there, the change is going to come. You've heard me say so many times: if you still act the same way, talk the same way, walk the same way, think the same way, live the same way that you did when you got saved, you need to change your salvation because Second Corinthians, I believe, five seventeen says, "If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away, and all things have become new." We, because of God's riches and His love towards us, we should be living like princes and princes, princes and princesses of the kingdom as opposed to children of the prince of the power of the air. As opposed to living like the children of wrath. And that word wrath there, that's talking about God's deserved, holy, righteous, disgust, contempt, hatred, and is going to be punished. Sin, well not God's sin, but our sin that God will deal with one way or the other. The Bible tells us that one day there's going to be two judgments. There's going to be a beam of judgment and a great white throne judgment. The beam of judgment is with those that are truly in Jesus Christ. God's going to say, come on in. We're already going to be in, but I'm just work with me on this one, okay? We're going to be given our rewards for serving Jesus. But the great white throne judgment is going to be reserved for the children of wrath. In other words, the children that have ne either have never accepted, they've never accepted Christ. Although some of them are going to say, like Jesus said, many in that day are going to say to me, "Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? Didn't we do the other?" And He said, "I'm going to stand before them and say, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you." Paul was talking about the fact that at one time we were dead in our trespasses and sins and we lived like we were trespassers and sinners. But the bad part is that even, even today some of us in the church are living, we're living our old lives as opposed to living the exchanged life that God wants to give us. And the question we need to ask ourselves is am I a son or daughter of disobedience? Am I a child of wrath or am I a child of grace? That's the bad stuff, but here comes the good stuff. Verse 4, But God... This kind of, kind of reminds me of, a, of an Old West movie, if you will. And I know I'm probably picking the wrong movie right now because from what I understand, it flopped at the box office. The scene's grim. The, 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 the damsel in distress didn't sell her farm or her ranch to Black Bart. Black Bart's got her. He's got her tied up. He's got her on the railroad tracks. Trains getting ready to come. All these bad things are coming. But the Lone Ranger, 
You know what's going to come. She's on the railroad tracks, but the good guy, the guy in the white hat, is going to come and save the day. And, and, and Paul's talking about that here. We were dead in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses. We were wallowing in it. We were loving it. We thought that's what life was all about. But, but yet we were digging ourselves a deeper and a deeper and a deeper and a deeper hole. Literally digging ourselves, if you will, straight to hell. But God... But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, is going to do a few things for us here in, in finishing this up. And I want us to see this before I even get into this. Because of His rich mercy and great love. Now, when did God start loving John Hodgin? Did He start loving me when I started on my own to kind of clean my act up, start doing some good things? No. Did, 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 did He start loving me when I finally bent my knee and bowed my head and I accepted Jesus as Savior? No. His great love and His great mercy towards me was shown in eternity past. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1 before I was even born. Before I was a twinkle in my daddy's eye. Before I was a twinkle in Adam's eye. God in His great love and mercy already loved John Hodgson. He knew John Hodgson was going to be born on January 2nd, 1962. He knew John Hodgson was going to give his life to Jesus in the summer of 1980. He knew for the next four or five years John Hodgson was going to be running from the ministry. He knew that John Hodgson was going to be standing at Victory Baptist Church with a hoarse voice on July 21st, 2013 preaching this exact same message. He knew all of that when He started loving me. And you know what? I really can't accurately say He started loving me. He has always loved me. God is infinite. For God to start loving somebody means there had to be a starting point. And if God has no starting point, and I hope that this needs to be an encouragement if you're here today and you think nobody loves you. If God is infinite and God didn't have a starting point, then there was no point when He started loving you. He's always loved you. And you know what? He will always love you whether you accept Him or whether you reject Him. But the consequences of rejecting Him are on us. In His great love and in His mercy towards us, He loved us before we cleaned up our acts. But He did four things for us. Hopefully I'm going to hit on them very quickly. He made us alive. He raised us up. He made us to sit. And He did all that so He could show us the exceeding riches of His grace. First of all, He made us alive. Verse 5. We need to remember that apart from Jesus Christ, we're all spiritually dead. But God made us alive when He saved us. Folks, if Jesus tarries, one day all of us are going to face a physical death. I believe there's some of us in, in this, if not up here, downstairs, that are going to be alive when Jesus comes back and will not taste physical death. But if Jesus tarries, we're all going to face a physical death. But because He made us alive spiritually, none of us will ever experience spiritual death. We shut our eyes on this earth, we open our eyes in the glory of heaven. 
glories of heaven in the presence of Jesus Christ. He made us alive. But not only, it wasn't just enough that, that, that He made us alive. He didn't make us alive spiritually and, and then left us to our own devices to, to waller in our own sin and in our own muck and in our own mud and leave us to figure, out, figure it out on our own. The Bible tells us He raised us up. He raised us up into life. We saw earlier in Ephesians that He adopted us into the family of God. In other places in the Gospel, Paul says that we're now joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He raised us up, according to what we read earlier in Ephesians, He raised us up into the spiritual heavenly places. For all intents and purposes, we're seated in heaven right now. As I said earlier, we're not physical beings living out a spiritual life on this earth. Rather, we're spiritual beings on this earth living out a physical life until God either comes to get us or God calls us home. And our spirit will live for eternity in heaven. He made us alive. He raised us up. And then He made us to sit. And that word made isn't like He forced us to do it. It's, you know what? I saved you. I made you alive. I raised you up. Here's your seat at the table. Here's your place in the family. Here's your place in the family of God. We're members of the family of God sitting at a table with Him in the heavenly places. And for the life of me, I can't understand people. And I, I heard this, this brought, came back to memory this morning driving in here. Folks that claim the name of Jesus Christ, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. I love Jesus, but I don't like the people of the church. How can we say we love the Lord and not love His bride? Two things for folks that are in that situation. Either they're not saved to begin with or they're way, way deep in sin and they don't even realize it. Because you cannot love Jesus Christ and not live what or who He died for. Who did He die for? He died for the church. But yet you hear so many times, oh, I, don't, I don't want anything to do with the church. You know what? One of two things are going on. Either you have, number one, you're not going to find a perfect church. Our pastor said one time, if you look, if you if you're looking for the perfect church, you find it and you join it. Guess what? It ain't perfect anymore. Stories told of a fellow that was, uh, yeah, I know it's late. I just keep looking at that to make it look good. Uh, Stories told of a guy that was on a, on a desert island. Been on the desert island for years, and and he's always out there sending the smoke signals out, and he's the only one there. But eventually a cruise ship passes by and sees him and the captain sends a search party, man overboard party as we'd call it in the Navy, out to the island. And, and the guy's showing him around and he shows him this house of bamboo that he's built. I'm like, man, that's pretty impressive to me. And the guy goes, well, that's, that's not all. He says, I've got some more to show you. And he shows him this other huge bamboo structure. And I said, well, what's that? And he says, well, that's where I go to church on Sunday. And then the guy goes, well, what about that other bamboo structure over there? And the guy goes, oh, well, that was where I, I used to go to church. <laughs> you know? You can't love God and, and hate the people that He died for, but yet so many so-called Christians try to live their lives like that. So he, he made us alive. He raised us up. He made us to sit with the family of God. We're imperfect. We, we sin. Some of us stumble into it. Some of us slide into it. Some of us sink into it. Some of us, I think, occasionally surf into it. We, 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 hey, it looks good. I'm going for it. But we're still saved and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're brothers and sisters. We need to get over the fact that other folks are, aren't going to be perfect. 
I mean, it's almost like saying, I'm going to be perfect. It's okay for me to mess up, but it's not okay for you guys to mess up. And that's what people are like that, 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 that go for years without coming to church. But He did all that. He made us alive. He raised us up, made us to fit so that He could show us the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness towards us. In verse 7, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. The ages. What's He talking about? He, I don't think He's just talking about when we get to the heavenly hereafter. I think He's talking about right now too. There's not a day that goes by where God's not showing me the, the riches of His grace and His kindness towards me and His love towards me. And you know what? I mean, a lot of you guys know some of the things Tammy and I have been going through the last year or so. And, and, and it's, you know, Tammy's this week up with her dad, this weekend up with her dad because her dad's not been doing too well. He's just, you know, most of y'all know he's had, had cancer surgery and heart surgery both here since the beginning of January. Found out yesterday that his sister died in Clifton Forge. You know, we, we, she gets all the way up to, up to Cumberland, John, I got to get two new two new tires before we come home. You know, and 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 things are are just hit. Now I want to I want to be clear on this. So many people say when they're going through tough times, well, that must be the cross I got to bear. No, none of this stuff we're going through is the cross that God's called us to bear. All these things that we're going through are the things that happen in everyday life. We all have financial problems. We all get sick. We get better. We have loved ones that get sick. They get die. The, the, the car breaks down. The van breaks down. Your kids make decisions and, and the, you're left holding the bag. You know what? That's not us. Oh, look at the cross God's given me and I'm bearing. That's everyday life. But yet in this everyday life, I see the riches that God has given me. I've seen the grace that He's shown to me. I've seen the love that He's given me. The love He's given my wife and not shooting me in my sleep or, or you know, taking my CPAP machine and clamping it so I, you know, I, I quit breathing. You know, God shows me man, through, through you guys. We, I, I would tell you right now, some of the things that... that, that and again, this isn't our cross. And, and I'm not doing this... So that you guys will have a pity party and talk about, man, look, look at how tough pastors get. I, I, I try to be open like this to let you guys see that just because I'm a pastor, I'm not immune to it. So many folks think that the pastor is up here and man, he's as close to God. He doesn't have any problems. He, there's no way he can understand what I'm dealing with or what I'm going through. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell, isn't it, you guys? You guys that have been preachers, you know what I'm talking about. I say it so hopefully you guys can get some encouragement yourselves. That God is still there. I don't have to resort to, to making this, the decisions that I may have made before that were bad decisions. Bad decisions may be made for a good reason, but I can rely on God's love and His grace and His mercy and, 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 and His riches. A lot of it comes from Him, straight from Him. The strength to, to get out of bed in the morning and put one foot in front of the other. But a lot of His grace and His love and His mercy and His riches is shown through the brothers and sisters of this church and other brothers and sisters around the state and around the country who have been the arms and the hands and the legs and the feet and the mouth and the heart and the love of Jesus Christ in the flesh. That power 
that resurrection power Jesus has displayed either directly to me through Himself or He's displayed through the lives of other people. And folks, that same power that's available to me, God doesn't do these things for me. I'm going to start sounding like one of these name it, claim it guys here in a minute. God doesn't do these things for me because I'm, I'm anything special. He does these things for me in spite of who I am. He does these things because He loves me and because I'm trying as imperfectly and as sometimes staggeringly and sometimes in as God's got to grab me by the arm and drag me as I live my life, He's doing it because He loves me. And you know what? Whatever He wants to do for me, He wants to do for everybody else here. And He can do for everybody else here. He does this so that He could show us not just, again, in the heavenly hereafter, but in the here and now, the exceeding riches excuse me, of His grace and in His love for us. And all of this is done. And we're going to get into this next week. So I am, I am getting ready to quit. <clears throat> he did all this because of His grace. Verse 8, for by grace you've been saved. And just as a reminder, what is God's grace? Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. I've said this a few times during this series. Justice is getting what you deserve. I get a speeding ticket. Justice dictates that I get a fine. I get a ticket. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Well, Mr. Hodgin, you're doing 85 in a 35 mile an hour zone, but I'm going to take the ticket and I'm going to rip it up. That's mercy, not getting what I deserve. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. Mr. Hodgin, you were doing 85 and a 35. Not only am I going to tear this up, but let me dig my wallet out. Man, here's $50. You and your wife go out to dinner today. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. None of us deserve God's grace. All of us deserve justice. None of us deserve mercy. None of us deserve grace. But God, because of His love to us, wants to show it to us. But He not only wants to show it to us, He wants to show it to those who don't, who don't know Him right now. Do we continue as Christians to live the way that we were? Or, we, or do we strive <clears throat> through the power of God to live lives that are pleasing to Him? To live lives so that He can continually, continuously bestow His love and His grace and His mercy on us? Do we live the way we live out of our love for Him? Or do we live the way we live out of fear, well, if I don't check the boxes, if I don't do this, if I don't do that, God's going to withhold His love from me. From me, And you know what? If, if, I, if I don't check enough boxes, and if I don't obey Him enough, meaning outwardly, then I might lose my salvation. That's not what salvation's all about. That's not what grace is all about. But what we're going to learn about next week is what grace really is, because grace isn't checking boxes. Grace isn't doing things out of fear. Grace is accepting the gift of forgiveness that God's given you. And through the power of Jesus Christ, trying to, through the power of Jesus Christ, allowing Him to live through you, because that's the only way we can live a life pleasing to Him. That's the only way we don't live a life, the lives that we used to live. That's the only way we can live and not be under control of the prince of the power of the air. To be like the children of disobedience, to be like the children of wrath. 
how you're living your life this morning. Do you know, do you really know the grace of God this morning? The grace that says, yes, though you're dead in your sins, though you deserve hell, I love you. I want you to accept my Son as your Lord and Savior. I want you to live for Him. And as you live for Him, I'm going to show you just how good I am. Not just in the heavenly hereafter, but in the here and now. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, please. Heavenly Father, I know this message has kind of gone long this morning, but Father, I, I, I just felt like these were things You wanted said. Lord, I just tried to get out of the way and allowed You to be the mouthpiece. And Lord, right now, this, this invitation is going to be short and simple. Lord, where You've worked in the lives of people, you've, you've spoken to them either about giving their lives to Jesus, perhaps they've given their life to Christ and they've kind of backslidden and You're calling them to get right with You again. Lord, whatever the need is can be taken care of right here and right now. If people want to give their life to Christ, Lord, I just pray they'd come forward and, and, and make that known to me. And Lord, as they make that known to me, I'll show them a better, a truer, more surer way. And I pray that Your Holy Spirit works in their heart that they come to know Jesus today. For it's in His name I pray. Amen.